0: Indeed, it is a privilege to be able to proclaim God's Word from behind this pulpit. First, he says in verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. And he starts out and he says so, or uh, in most versions it says therefore, therefore, and therefore refers us back to the fact that the believers were suffering persecution and they were being attacked for living righteous lives. And and we could read that in verses 12 through 19. If you have time, sometime read that. And you see that they were undergoing much suffering here in Peter. And and also, as you go in chapter 3, I believe it's verses 8 maybe to the end of that chapter speaks of Christ, of the suffering of the people. So they were going through much persecution and that caused Peter to, to do what? It caused him to exhort the elders, to shepherd trouble, discouraged sheep. And I think today during this time of uh, where we have been kind of shut up or you know put in our homes, so to speak and uh, there's a lot of older people, especially I think, that have gone very, become very depressed and very down and discouraged. And it's our responsibility as shepherds, as elders, to come alongside them and to encourage one way or the other. Now, the first thing we see here is that the Holy Spirit <clears throat> gives spiritual leadership and responsibility to church elders. In Acts fourteen verse twenty-three, it says, "And when they appointed elders from for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed." So you see, they had elders in every church that were to shepherd the people. And next, we see the role and the qualifications. Uh, for these men. And I'd like to turn, excuse me, to First Timothy chapter three. 1 Timothy chapter three. Verse three through seven. Let's see here just a moment. First Timothy three. Verse one through seven, I'm sorry. And those of you who have Bibles, you might turn there, and it says this is the qualifications of a shepherd, or a deacon, or an elder. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife or a one woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be puffed up with pride and conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by the outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. And also in Titus 1, 5 through 9, it speaks basically the same thing. So it tells what what an elder's responsibility is and the qualifications there. And and I'm sure um, if Cameron and, and... Pastor Phil and myself felt like we could do that on our own, we'd probably be out that door in a hurry because we can't do it. You know, it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit can we even attain to that that type of living above reproach. You know, it's amazing. Uh, As I look at my own self, I see so many areas where I fail, and uh, only by God's grace can we uh, even measure up. But he says here, Peter does, he says, I exhort the elders. Let's look at that little word, exhort. Exhort literally means to call alongside or to encourage or to compel. So he might say, I'm encouraging the elders or I compel the elders to shepherd the flock. Here Peter directs his appeal to the elders. The New Testament gives several terms to refer to these men. It might use as bishop, overseer, shepherd, pastor. The early church broadly adopted a similar model appointing a plurality of godly and spiritual gifted men to lead, to guard, and to feed the local church. And we see that in Acts 2, verse 42. That's where the apostles were together. And he in the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread and fellowship and prayer, and their responsibility to proclaim the truth, to build the people up in the Lord and protect them from sin and error while always being examples of godliness to the flock. Notice the importance that Peter used. He says elders in the plural. He didn't just say the elder among you. It says elders. The plurality of godly men as designed by the Lord not only provides more care, but it offers important safeguards to the body. Exodus 18, 21, he says, Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, Where there is no guidance, the people falls. But in an abundance of counselors, there is what? Safety. Also, a plurality of elders preserves the church against imbalance. One leader can result in domineering over the flock, and we've seen that happen in other places. Or overemphasis on some doctrine or practice that is not in harmony with the rest of the scriptures, exposing the people to error. Every believer, including elders, has various gifts. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Therefore, the plurality of elders enriches the church, since God does not give all spiritual abilities to one man. It becomes a blessing as they work together for the unity of the body of Christ. And I can't tell you how many times... Um, uh, Pastor Phil and Cameron and I as we get together uh, in our elder meetings that maybe uh, maybe I've got a weakness in this certain area and they come along and they strengthen that and we're able to work together for the unity of the body. It, it becomes a, a tremendous blessing. And so we are, we are thankful that we have a plurality of men. The task of the shepherd includes the positive elements of spiritual leadership, bringing maturity and Christ likeness. That's our desire. Its main objective is the feeding of the flock through the sincere preaching of the Word of God. Peter received firsthand instruction on the shepherd's responsibility from the risen Lord Himself. <clears throat> In John 21, verses 15 through 17, uh, <clears throat> actually, Jesus. Comes to Peter and he says, uh, he told him to, to feed his lambs. He, first he asked Peter, he said, do you love me? And he says, yeah, I love you. You know I love you, Lord. And he said, well, then feed my lambs. And then the second time he came to him and he said, Peter, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Then he said, tend to my sheep. And then finally, the third time, he came and asked him the same thing. Peter, do you love me? And he becomes a little frustrated, and he says, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, well, then feed my sheep. So we see here that uh, <clears throat> the shepherd, <clears throat> excuse me. It is, I lost my, my place here just a moment. We we'll, got it, here we go. Twice Jesus used the word tend, which in the Greek is bosco, which means literally to feed. And shepherd, which literally means shepherding. So the shepherd's job is not only to tell people what they want to hear, but to edify and to strengthen them with solid spiritual food and to teach of the saving work of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel. Every sermon Somewhere along the lines, we need to give the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is what it's all about, the gospel. It's all about Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that saves, and Him alone. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4 says this. It says, for the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. That sounds a little bit like what we see today, isn't it? People are looking. They don't want to hear the truth, so they're searching for anything that will just tickle their ears. The main task of the shepherd is to preach the gospel, to preach biblical truth alone, and to feed the sheep. Jeremiah 23, 1, 4 says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. They were not watching over the flock. And I trust that we here are doing all that we can to feed, to guide, to direct, to guard the flock of God. Would want to attend to them, to all of you. Peter identified himself with the elders, calling himself a fellow elder, didn't he? he said, rather than elevate himself, Peter humbled himself, and he empathized with their tasks as one who understood the challenges and the difficulties of the shepherd elders. Peter also reminds them that he was a witness of the sufferings of Christ. By seeing the suffering and risen Christ, affirmed that he was an apostle, which also gave him authority. The word witness here has a twofold meaning one who personally saw something, and one who testified to what he saw. In Peter's case, his being a witness to the suffering of Jesus along with his fellow apostles, to declare the gospel message made him a trustworthy source to encourage the elders to their duty. In Acts 22, verse 15, he says, "...for you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have heard or seen." The preaching of the gospel also was a primary focus of Peter's preaching, and it was a major theme here in, the, in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 1, verse 11, and verse 19. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 4, verse 1 and 13. And for the sake of time, we won't go there and read there, but it tells about the suffering of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the gospel. Peter also says or tells us that he was not only just a witness, but he was a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. He could offer the other elders the genuine hope of an eternal reward for faithful service. The glory that is to be revealed looks at the return of Jesus Christ. And we see that in First Thessalonians, verse <clears throat> chapter four, verse sixteen through eighteen. We'll turn there and just read it. First Thessalonians four, sixteen through eighteen. He says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One of these days, Jesus Christ is going to come again and take us home to be with him. Peter says that he is a partaker also in that ultimate blessing, indicating that the elders are also. That the believers share in the eternal glory with our Lord is our hope. Peter's anticipation was magnified because he had seen the coming glory at the transfiguration. And we see that in 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 16 through 18. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He, he received honor, glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. They were there, the apostles, when he went up to heaven. Peter was there. What a blessing. That is why that Peter could address, as it says here, the elders that are among you. And so the second thing that we see here, the The command we see is to shepherd God's flock, God's way. And we see that here in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God. I think the smoke has got my voice all horsed up. (laughs) I I don't know what it is. Sounds like I'm swallowed gravel or something. But anyway, in verse 2, Peter is concerned how the elders would shepherd and oversee God's flock. That was his desire. That was his concern. God is concerned primarily about the motives, about the attitudes, and about the methods of the men who lead his people. He then carefully describes how the elders are to serve. He says, exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. This emphasis on the proper motivation and attitude of the shepherd elders complements the theme of holy living in 1 Peter. He says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy as I am holy. 1 Peter 1, verse 15 and 16. Then he says in, in uh, 1 Peter two twelve, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. That should be our desire for holy living. If we as Christians are to be holy as God is holy, it is indeed particularly important that the shepherds, the elders, are holy. If the elders function with greedy hands or unholy egos or lazy hearts, the flock of God will be defiled and will stray from its holy path. Jesus taught His disciples to act toward one another in a humble, loving, and self-sacrificing and servant-like manner. Since We as elders must shepherd God's flock in a Christ-like way. Peter gives us some of Jesus' teaching. The following three contrasts indicate the wrong and the right way to shepherd God's flock. And number one, he says, not under compulsion, but willingly. You know, God does not want reluctant, unwilling shepherds to care for his people. That's not who he wants. Peter warns of an elder who uh, maybe feels like he has to um, serve as an elder because maybe he feels pressured by someone or uh, maybe there's no one else to do the work. If he does that, he's, he's serving under compulsion and he won't enjoy it. Lenski captures this thought well when he says, Elders are not to serve like drafted soldiers, but like volunteers. In contrast, Peter emphatically says, Elders are to shepherd the flock of God willingly, freely, and voluntarily. They serve because they freely with passion choose to serve. And if we don't have passion to serve the people of God, then we may as well we may as well just drop out because we're not doing any good. We have to have passion. We have to do it because we desire to do it. Is it hard work? Yes. We run into all sorts of situations as we shepherd God's flock. But we do it because we love to do it. The willing spirit Peter speaks of is according to the will of God, literally meaning according to God. God Himself is not reluctant. He's not an unwilling shepherd. He cares for His sheep gladly, willingly, freely, and graciously. And that is the same way that we need to care for our people here at RHC. And I can speak, I believe, for Cameron and for Pastor Phil. We desire to take good care of the flock here. We really do. Do we make mistakes? Sure, we do, we're human. But it's our desire to do so with a cheerful heart. 1 Corinthians 9, 7, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, God loves cheerful elders. We should shepherd God's flock with passion and joy. Then he says, not for money, but with eagerness. Peter next addresses what Cranfield terms the spirit of hirelings. And I kind of like this. Uh, The the Greek word, uh, I don't know if I can pronounce it's eskrokirdos, which means sordid gain or shameful gain. In contrast, Peter shows us the right spirit we are to have as we shepherd God's flock, eagerness, with eagerness. That means personal desire or passion. It's much more than willingness or voluntarily. It actually means to have selflessness. This kind of eagerness is shown in 1 Timothy 3.1 when he says, if any, we read it, if any man aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. An elder, you know, should aspire that work. Eager elders are driven to care for the sheep, to love the sheep. They have no interest in their own self-sacrifice. They have no interest for their own time. Their time is not their own. God's sheep are their deepest concern. They're my deepest concern. They're Cameron's deepest concern and Phil's deepest concern. This work as a shepherd goes way beyond normal duty or self-interest or money. Their greatest joy and greatest goal is that they love to shepherd the flock of God willingly. Not because we have to, but because we desire to. Number three, lastly, not domineering, but as examples Here Peter saves the worst and the best for last. The third unworthy motive for an elder is far more subtle temptation than that of greed. This unworthy motive is the abuse of authority, power, and control over others' lives. Jowett remarks about the subtle domineering leadership saying that pride ever lurks just at the heels of power. Even a little authority is prone to turn, I like this, a seemly walk into a most offensive strut. In a similar observation, Cranfield notes how extensively does the worldly view of power penetrate and permeate the life of the church. The truth of the saying that power corrupts is far too often confirmed in the church, and when spiritual leadership is abused in this way, the corruption of the best is the worst. The verb here, lording it over, in the Greek, gives us the idea of forcefully gaining mastery over someone, over others. That's not something we want to do. This shows an authoritative attitude. Domineering leadership has long been a temptation for many spiritual leaders of churches, and that should never be. The prophet Ezekiel describes those who lorded over Israel when he writes, With force and with severity you have dominated them, the sheep. Ezekiel 34.4 Jesus forbids any individual or leaders within the family of God to treat brothers and sisters in Christ like subjects to be ruled. Jesus says, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But it is not so among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant or your slave. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave to all. Mark 10, 42 through 44. That's really who we are, slaves to Jesus Christ. Following our Lord's instruction, John the Apostle denounces a man named Diotrephes. I think we've probably all heard about him. He was the first dictatorial pastor for lording over or his authority over a Christian congregation. John writes, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what they say. Neither does he himself receive the brothers, and he forbids those who desires to do so, and he puts them out of the church. In 3 John 9, 10 through B, he become first among them rather than slave to them. Rather than a servant, there is no room for domineering elders in the body of Jesus Christ who are marked by mutual love, brotherhood, submission, and humility. The elders are not to shepherd the church like tyrants, but always with much love and much patience. Much patience. In verse 5, Peter tells us how to dress for success. He says, clothe yourselves with humility. That's how we do it. We as elders need to realize that there is only one Lord and Master in the church, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The clause, those in your charge, as we see here, strengthens the concept that the people are not the elders' possession. The people do not belong to the elders. They belong to the one who gave them to the elders' care. And that is God alone. He is the only one who is the true shepherd. In the vast contrast of lording over others, elders are to do what? They're to be living examples to the flock of of God. Examples. Being an example, says commentator Peter Davids, and it's in your bulletin, fits well with the image of flock. For the ancient shepherd, I, I really like this the ancient shepherd did not drive the sheep, but he walked in front and called them to follow. What a, what a great example, isn't it? That's the example Jesus Christ gave to us, the greatest example. Yeah, we don't drive the sheep, but we walk ahead calling them to follow. It seems like that is always the best method. Jesus Christ is the one who uh, changes hearts, changes attitudes, changes lives. Throughout this epistle, Peter instructs the importance of humility and submission. We see it in verse verse 5 here. If the elders trust God with humility, the people will trust God. If the elders have a passion for the Word of God, the people will have a passion for the Word of God. If the elders are peaceable, gentle, Loving and full of mercy, that's what you'll see the people will follow in that example. If the elders are servant leaders, the church will be marked by humble servants. And I'm going to have to put a little plug in right now for you people. I really see a, a servant attitude in you folks. When there's anything that needs to be done, someone steps up and gets it done. And uh, we don't have to beg or plead. It seems like it's usually done. And we're thankful for that. Just wanna encourage you, continue. Uh, We all need one another. What a blessed influence is the holy character and conduct of Christian elders calculated to diffuse through the church," writes Scottish pastor John Brown. Now the future reward of Christ's under-shepherds. Peter concludes his appeal to the Asian elders by telling them of that glorious day when the chief shepherd appears when they will receive the unfading crown of glory. On on that day, all the labors, the hardships, the struggles, the sacrifices will be fully recognized and lavishly rewarded. We look forward to that day, all of us, don't we? Here Peter calls Jesus Christ, he says, the chief shepherd. According to the New Testament, there is only one shepherd, one flock, with one shepherd. We see in John 10, 16. Jesus Christ is that irreplaceable shepherd. Second Peter, in 1 Peter, he states, For you were continually straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls." Jesus Christ is the great shepherd in Hebrews 13:20 and the good shepherd in John 10:10. 10, 10. We see that the good shepherd loves the sheep. What did he do? He laid down his life for the sheep. Someday he will return in all his glory to take his sheep or his people home to be with Him forever. Revelation 7, 17 says, He shall be their shepherd and guide them to springs of water of life. At that time we will receive our reward. As under shepherds and elders who are under the authority of the chief shepherd, therefore the elders' work, as we have seen, must be done according to God's way. The elders must shepherd the flock in a loving manner as the chief shepherd does. Everything that they do will be judged on the basis of faithfulness to him, not however we wish. Commentator I. Howard Marshall says, Christian leadership is thus A sharing in the leadership of Christ under His direction. What could be more encouraging to faithful elders who face heartaches and troubles and problems and trials and sleepless nights and persecutions than to look forward to Christ's return as the chief shepherd and share in his future glory. Peter says upon Christ's return, the faithful elders will receive an unfading crown of glory. In this context, crown is used to represent reward or special honor. The reward is for faithful servant servants. Excuse me. For faithful service of the under shepherds of God's flock This crown will never wither or tarnish like gold does. It is an unfading crown. This crown consists of glory. The glory is a reality and the crown is a metaphor. This glory is Christ's glory that will be displayed at His appearing. You know, you might might say, you know, Bruce, you're... You spoke a lot about the elders, and you're an elder. (laughs) Well, what really got me interested in these verses is, yeah, that's one reason right there. I wanted to dig, dig into the message and see exactly what our responsibility and our duties is, how we are to act and react to the people of God. But secondly, uh, I thought it would be good that maybe, maybe there's some of you out here that really doesn't understand or didn't know what an elder's job was of the under-shepherd. And I thought, well, we'll go to the Bible and give a little instruction here. And I hope it's been, been helpful to all of us. My desire is, is not to just... Um, my desire really is that we might be able to come together and work together more for the body of Christ, that, that, that you would understand that, that we as elders, our, our job is not an easy job, but we love to do what we do. We do it willingly. Uh, we do it eagerly. Do we get tired sometimes? Sure. Do sometimes we want to throw up our hands? Yeah. But you know what? We can't. We don't want to. We, we still have a, a passion for serving you people. That's our desire. It really is. We want to, you know what, what we really desire, we desire to see all of you grow and mature in Jesus Christ. That's the whole key. We want to see people come to know Christ and we want to see people grow in Christ. So that's really the twofold reason for this message this morning. What a time of victory and joy at Christ's return will bring to lowly, unknown elders who are faithfully shepherding God's flock. God himself will bestow as it says, on them heavenly honor and glory. We're all to keep our eyes fixed wholly on Christ appearing. For reward day is coming. It is coming. Don't give up. To myself, to, to Cameron, to Pastor Phil, as under shepherds of, of you folks here at RHC. I think that it's our desire that when Christ comes again or he takes us home there's only one thing that we want to hear. That is well done good and faithful servant or slave. Just well done good and faithful servant. That's all we need to hear. That's it. I can't wait to see him face to face, my Savior, the one who saved me by His grace. Nothing I could do, only Him. And I'm going to close by reading the last five verses, I believe or six here, starting in verse 5. He says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, why, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's why we have to be watchful. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, out of every nation, every kindred, every tongue is going through that same suffering. And and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory in Christ, will Himself do what? He will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To Him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen.